Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, it's me, Maggie. And me, Julia. And today we have an awesome interview with Dr. Joe Sutliff Sanders, uh, who is putting together a graphic novel collection at the Lucy Cavendish College. Hello, Joe. How are you? Hey there. I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you so much for being here. We are really excited to just learn more about um, your program and the collection. But before we really delve into it, Joe, I just want to ask like a fun little question to get us all warmed up and ready to go. Is there a graphic novel that you think would make a great television program or film? Oh, definitely. Okay, so now I have to narrow things down. Let me think about this. First of all, the answer is everything I love would be great. Uh, <laughs> and all of the authors I love, somebody should just drive a big Hollywood money truck up to their front garden and just dump money all over it. So that's the real answer. Perfect. Um, but if I have to pick uh, something specific, okay, so um, let's see. There's a there's a Spanish... Um, uh, he's actually a film director, in fact, but he also does comics. His name is David Munoz, and he did a three-part series called Whispers in the Wall. There was this really super, um, like, historically specific and creepy, but also um, really heartfelt story called Whispers in the Wall. And it was about um, these kids who are being kept in something like an asylum, and uh, they slowly realize that there are these experiments and there are these long traditions of monsters kind of going on around them. And they don't know what their place is. In that. So it's a fantastic premise for, for a series you could really play out. And then um, there's a more recent one called The Magic Fish by Chung Li Wen. Uh, so that's Wen spelled N-G-U-Y-E-N. And again, the book is The Magic Fish. It's uh, it's so it's such a neat story. It's a standalone graphic novel, and it's about well, it's about several things, but it it uses a folk tale from um, if I'm not mistaken Vietnam that uh, that then becomes this becomes this sort of metaphor for a coming out story for a young person at the same time. And it just weaves really effortlessly between the two of them. And I think that could be a really cool story for the screen because um, it would it would it would be able to go back and forth between the two of them uh, in ways that were compelling, but it, it wouldn't immediately be obvious why they were next to each other. And it's something that yeah. as the film went along. So I think this might be a standalone film rather than a series. As the film went along, you see the two come closer and closer together and you start to kind of backfill what this metaphor meant earlier that you didn't understand. So I think both of those would be fantastic. I have to say, yeah, yeah, both of those sound amazing. So I don't know who we can call in Hollywood, (laughs) but I would love to see those on the screen. Do you think... um, for graphic novels, you know, there have been a few a few adaptations that I've seen. Do you think that graphic novels lend themselves more to live action or animated um, adaptations? Okay, let's see. Um, so the obvious answer is animated because comics and graphic novels tend to be drawn. And mm-hmm. So there's an immediate connection there. But let me see if I if, if I can, like that's such an obvious answer that it's almost certainly wrong. 
So let me <laughs> see if I can figure out why the other side might be right. So I guess um, one way that live action might really lend itself uh, to what comics are doing is that um, comics, especially superhero stories, have such a physicality to them. They have such an embodiment. You really have to care about the, the bodies that are moving back and forth on the screen and that are hitting each other and that are being thrown against walls and so forth. And that feels more of this room. It's mm-hmm. action. I'm thinking about how, um, like, I, I remember a long time ago, there was a summer when a whole bunch of great, a whole bunch of superhero films came out. And I remember being surprised that my, my favorite of all of them was the second X-Men film. And it was because that film, the violence had a physical cost to Whereas the others, mm-hmm. it was just, it was like operatic and it was beautiful. And it was kind of John Woo, beautiful kicks and jumps across the screen. But X-Men 2 had this kind of pain that was there all the time. So as I'm trying to make myself argue for the less obvious answer, I'll say maybe live action actually has something for superhero films because you can you can feel the um, the physical cost of the movement and the pain. Yeah, absolutely. I think it 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 depends a lot on the story and what you sort of sure. want to get across and and whether that depends. Because I find that I read a lot of graphic novels where you just kind of want you want to keep and preserve the art. Yes. And then there are some where the story is so intense that it just feels like it would suit live action more. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I mean, it, it, so I find again, I want to like argue both here that um, <laughs> you can get something like. Um, so okay, I'm not a huge fan of Frank Miller's book 300, and I never saw the film that was based on it. That said, the artistic vision of 300 was super interesting, and. Clearly, they made the film trying to recall that visual uh, aesthetic. And the same is true of the Sin City adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if, when you have a book that is so visually striking, it might be good to just tr- make sure you aren't trying to do that. You know, yeah. Make yourself get away from the obviously successful, beautiful visuals of the book and do something that fits the new media better. Yeah, it, it probably does just fit itself to whichever project you're working on, though. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's I'm, true. And like the new Sandman TV series is such a success; it's such mm-hmm. a fantastic show, and it's a it's a great adaptation that that is somehow able to just outright. It's not plagiarism because it's so obvious what they're doing, but I'm going to say plagiarized. It just outright plagiarizes some of the visuals from like that first issue, for example, Sam Keith drawings. And, uh, but then there are other parts that are so totally removed from the surface of the original, but still get the heart of the original. So like that, that brilliant um, diner, brilliant diner, not scene, but episode, um, Mm -hmm. which is is an adaptation of one issue from Sandman originally, as I'm sure you know. And it's, uh, that's one. Yeah. So my point though, was that, uh, that almost everything on the surface of that, that source material from that uh, issue about the diner, that surface is almost entirely gone and they shoot it much more like a stage play actually. But even though the surface of it is gone, the heart of it, the heart of that original issue 
was still there in full force. So I feel like that kind of shows what Julie was talking about, that it depends on the source material, but they mm-hmm. the successful adaptation will say, okay, in this moment, clearly the way the comic did it is going to work for the screen, so let's do that. Well, moving uh, more into our episode, uh, Joe, can you tell us a bit about yourself and uh, also about this amazing project that you're doing with Cambridge's Lucy Cavendish College? Sure, sure, sure. So about myself and about the graphic novel collection, these are two of my favorite subjects. So about me, um, I grew up in North Carolina in the United States and um, spent a a long time doing um, a lot of different things in a lot of different places across the country. Um, kind of emerged as an English professor who was super interested in lots of different popular non-canonical things. And one of them was comic books. When I came to Cambridge, I joined a college at Cambridge called Lucy Cavendish College. It's a marvelous college. It's such a such a great place. It's a place that's really committed to diversity, that's really committed to uh, lifting people up. I remember at my interview, um, the senior tutor said, we want to be the Cambridge College for people who never imagined themselves in Cambridge. And I just thought, this is, this is where I'm going to be. <laughs> so, so that's me coming here. And when I met the librarian for the college, I said, you know, if you're interested, there is no really substantial collection of graphic novels anywhere in Cambridge. There are, what, 50, 60 different libraries in this university. Mm. And you might get one that has like a shelf full of graphic novels, which is great. But there's no real, um, there's no library that that has really identified itself as the graphic novels library. If we wanted to, we could become that. And they got excited about that, the, the librarian did, the college did. And now, what we've done is we have started uh, the first graphic novels library at uh, the University of Cambridge. And we I was the one who designed the core list. So that's these are the books we're going to get first, and then we're going to grow from there. And I made sure to start that list with the great books by women, people of color, queer people, indigenous writers, that's indigenous creators of, of both writing and drawing. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, and we also got all of the, you know, classics by people who look like me. So you've got your new game and you've got your Alan Moore, you've got your brain. So don't have to worry about that. That's there too. But we started it with these people who are usually on the margins. And that's just, you know, when I said to Lucy, that's what I want to do. Like, Oops, that's, that's, <laughs> That, that is the Lucy Cavendish way of doing things. So that sounds great. So I'm really, really proud of how this is emerging. It's, um, Lucy is not a wealthy college. It is one of, uh, it, it is not a wealthy college. And what that means is that we have had to do a lot of fundraising from both small and mm-hmm. large donors to try to get this off the ground. And we're not done yet with the fundraising, but we've already started to put together a collection. And again, it's it's starting with the people who, who usually are on the margins and kind of building in from there. Uh, so it's a collection I'm, I'm just super excited to see taking place. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so 
um, important to, you know, like really celebrate graphic novels. I feel like it, it tends to be the bookish medium that, that often gets overlooked. Um, what do you find is like the reason and why do you think it's important to preserve and keep a collection of graphic mm-hmm. novels? So why do I think it's easy to overlook graphic novels? I think that's because um, for whatever reason, we have associated images in stories with something you're supposed to grow up. Mm-hmm. There is a drawing that's a sign that it's a book for somebody who isn't really an accomplished. Yeah. That's stupid. There's no reason to think that. But for whatever reason, we've kind of decided that as a society. And so when people are trying to demonstrate to the world that they were accomplished thoughtful readers they reach first for books that don't have pictures um so i think that's why why is it important to preserve this kind of thing you know i'll give an uninteresting answer to that and then i'll try to give a better answer so the uninteresting answer is that uh, we should do it because it's part of culture it's something that human beings made and found joy in and therefore it should be preserved but that's true of so many things. So, you know, why graphic novels? Here's a slightly, I hope, more interesting answer. It's not why preserve graphic novels, but why preserve them at Cambridge? Yeah. The answer for that, right? The answer for that is connected to the first question you asked me. But it's um, that this is a place uh, that is a fantastic, wonderful, welcoming, supportive university. Uh, it's an extraordinary privilege just to be here and be part of this. Uh, however, it is also an institution that has gone out of its way to support a certain kind of human experience mm-hmm. and to push everything that was to emergence. Routinely, over the last 800 years, it has pushed aside things that, that were popular and that gave um, the person on the street, gave them pleasure. So I think it's really important to preserve graphic novels and a rich graphic novel cultural heritage at Cambridge because it's this exact counterbalance to uh, to a certain kind of uh, cultural structure that Cambridge has always supported. And it's something that we ought to complicate. It's something we ought to trade. Yes, absolutely. I think it is just... I, I think graphic novels are so important. Um, I work at a bookshop and one of my least favorite things is when parents kind of scoff at their children wanting to read graphic novels because you can get so much story and learn so much about empathy from illustrations as well as enjoy the written word that is there as well. And I think to do it at such a prestigious university and to really be welcomed with open arms to bringing um, a collection of graphic novels to Cambridge is just stunning i think it's amazing yeah thank you so much thank you so much yeah it's it's really fantastic so the next time you you hear a parent scoffing you can say you know i just had a call with the, member <laughs> of the faculty of education at the university of cambridge who says you're wrong so yeah. <laughs> i will <laughs> just do with that what you want <laughs> and he says you're wrong <laughs> well, Joe, is there any specific piece in your collection that you are like the most excited about? Like if someone's like, all right, you have a ton of graphic novels here, but which one should I read? You know, okay, I 
I, I can't do that because they're all my favorite children. <laughs> I can't choose between them. Here's, here's what I would say. Um, so I, I was working with a plastic librarian, Suzanne. So Suzanne and I were, were figuring out um, what should go on the list, how to prioritize things, um, how to order them. And there was one title that I put on there because I love it and because it's really popular right now. And I thought, you know, well, this is not like the, necessarily the most impressive award-winning thing ever, but I'm going to put it on there because I love it. And then when she was talking with her daughters about this collection, they were like, oh, well, that's cool, Mom. Um, what kind of stuff are you getting? And she went down the list and she got to this one. They stopped her and said, wait, what? And they immediately had her reserve them. So as soon as they came in, her daughters could read them instantly. And I think that's a sign that we did something right in that choice. So this is a, a title. I think the way you're supposed to say it is just Spy Family. The way it's printed on the cover is Spy X Family. So that's what I called it, Spy X Family, until my kids told me, you sound like an old man. Don't say, just say Spy Family. You're not supposed to say the X. Anyway, so Spy Family, which um, is also a really good anime right now. Um, I think you can get it on Crunchyroll in the UK. Come on. But uh, Spy Family is ah, it's it's such a ridiculous premise, and it's so beautifully drawn, and it's just so deeply funny. Uh, funny not only in premise but also in um, the pacing of mm-hmm. the story. That it reveals the punchlines with this this incredible time. But, ah, it's, it's a fantastic series. Yeah. Truly, I'm not even joking. The gal who runs graphic novels at the bookshop I work at told me to read that just oh, the other week. Oh, Spy Family. That's so good. Did yeah. she say Spy Family or Spy X Family? She said Spy Family, I'm afraid. Oh, see, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. I'm glad that I qualified that. I'm glad my kids corrected me. Okay, so yes, yeah, Spy Family, it's so funny. And it's also just so easy on the eyes. It's so beautiful. Amazing. So, Joe... Have you always been a fan of graphic novels? If you were to look back and tell childhood Joe about what you're doing right now, what would he say? I have always loved comics. Um, so I teach comics in, in various different ways here at Cambridge. And there's this story that I always tell. Uh, so if my students listen to this podcast, they're going to roll their eyes because they have to hear the story yet again. But the story <laughs> is that I was reading comics before I could read. So what I mean by that is before I could take, I could recognize letters and put them into words that mimic speech, I was taking comic books and opening them up on the floor and inferring from the lines and the colors um, and even the shapes of the word bubbles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, was impl- I was inferring the story. And I was doing it in my own weird way. But what this means is that I don't actually remember learning to read comics and I don't remember falling in love with comics because they they were there when my memory started. So I have always loved them. So what what would Joey, because that's what I was called, what would Joey say if uh, Joe said to him, this is what's going to happen to you? Um, I think on the one hand, he would be unimpressed. He would be like, of course, why would you not continue to read comics and talk about comics and you know evangelize for them? And I think uh, I think the other thing would be, I think, okay, I think that what he would actually be 
excited about and interested in is that he would say, so what kind of conversations do you get to have about? Mm. What kind of questions are there to ask about conflicts? What are the fights people have about them? Is it just, again, the question is not, would Batman kick Superman's butt? He would. That's that's just an objective (laughs) fact. The question might be how badly. Uh, Are there more interesting questions than that to ask? (laughs) Uh, and, you know, to some extent, no, that is an incredibly interesting question. But also, yeah, there are some really interesting questions like um, uh, what what is the role that the comic book has played in the public understanding of what a book is, mm-hmm. right? Over the last hundred years, how has the idea of what a book is changed and what role did comic books play in that? Or what does it mean to shift from picture books which have words and pictures that go together, to comic books, which have words and pictures that go together. What, what's the difference between those two? Is there a difference? And, and if so, what are the implications of that difference? Mm-hmm. Or um, what role has, uh, have, have comics played in the development of an idea of a discipline for young people? There was a period when the only thing that comics could do as far as discipline went, had to do with showing good rules and teaching lessons and never letting children practice the idea of laughing at food. But that didn't stick around forever, thank goodness. Now there are actually some very different ideas that have to do with kind of finding your own path through the big questions of ethics that we have going through. So I think that's what Joey would say. Uh, First of all, of course, you are. Comics are awesome. Why would you not be doing this? But second of all, what um, what are the bigger questions that we get to talk about now that now that there's a discipline that actually exists? Mm-hmm. I was just going to go back to the the Batman and Superman question, though, yeah. Um, yeah. because well, because you wrote a book semi recently. I did yeah. about the 1992 Batman cartoon. Yeah. Um, tell us more about that. Isn't that show just the best? Anybody who's watched, you know, a handful of episodes is just like, yeah, that was kind of, that was kind of a poster piece, wasn't it? Absolutely. Um, It's some good Batman. It's some good Batman. (laughs) And when Kevin Conroy passed away, just, what was it, a couple of months ago? uh, This is the guy who voiced Batman on that show. Mm -hmm. I was, I was so pleased to see the widespread heartfelt sense of sorrow just kind of across people of multiple generations. So yeah, that book came out, I think, almost two years ago now. Um, so the book is just called Batman the Animated Series. And there is a so there's a university press, Wayne State University in Detroit, and they do a series of books called Television Milestones. And it's such a neat idea. Each book is about one television show. And to get a contract to write a book in that series, you have to make the case that this show was a milestone in the history of television. That series had shown little interest, not zero, but little interest in children's television uh, before I did my book. And I think no interest in animation. I don't think they'd done any books in animation. So I was nervous about approaching them. Uh, but fortunately, the press immediately said, oh, yes, that shit was fantastic. Let's let's talk more about this. And I, so I've published, I think, six books at this point. And that one 
was the most fun to write. Not because there was it wasn't difficult. In fact, I'll tell you in a minute about a part that was super difficult. But because it was um, because every minute I was working on it, I was thinking about how to open up and illuminate this thing that I love, this thing that that I, it has given me so much joy and so much heartbreak uh, over so many uh, so many years now. And then I've watched with my family, you know, I've watched it with my wife repeatedly, and she would. As I was writing the book, saying, well, "Don't forget, you said this interesting thing." Like, oh my God, that's a good idea! Thank you. You know, like I, I'm not sure I actually came up with it. She probably came up with it, yeah. but anyway. Uh, and then I would watch it with my kids. Um, and it, in fact, I watched it with my kids the most recent time while I was writing the book, and they got bless them. They got really good at just being patient. And Daddy had to pause the screen and write something down. Okay, remember, and at 13. Alfred makes a joke, you know, something like that. <laughs> and they're like, I don't understand why he's doing this, but it doesn't matter. We get to watch back. So it was such a delight to write this book. And it was, it, I, I'd say in the book that um, what I was trying to do was demonstrate that great conversations can be had about this show, that this show supports and even provokes rich, interesting conversation. Um, I said that. It was it was not only always easy. In fact, there was one part that was extremely difficult, and I started to think I never should have taken the project on. It was that um, I wanted to write a chapter about gender because mm-hmm. there's an awful lot of really interesting stuff with gender in that show, um, from the women who were behind the scenes uh, making the show to uh, female characters created in the show, and to some really questionable things that have to do with uh, with gender politics in the show. Yeah. And as I was working on that, there's this one character, Harley Quinn, who was invented in that show. That's where she comes from. She didn't exist before Batman the series. And Harley just sort of elbowed everything else aside. There was so much to say about her that I, I couldn't do all the interesting. I just had to talk to Harley. But the part that was hard, part that was so challenging that I almost had to give up the book was that Harley presents this impossible paradox, which mm-hmm. is that on the one hand, she is it's really obviously true that she is a fetishization and eroticization of violence against women. That that's that's part of that's that's in her DNA. On the other hand, she is also, and I don't fully understand it, this extremely empowering female character whom female leaders around the world look at and uh, find inspiration and encouragement and even, like, um, queer empowerment. And and all of that is there in the original show, too. And I I wasn't willing to just say one or the other. I wasn't willing to mm-hmm. say, you know, she's this horrible thing that is exactly what feminism is fighting against. Because although in places that's true, there are all these real-world women who have really been inspired by her. I have a, a former student, in fact, who um, changed her name after she went through uh, something difficult in her life uh, to adopt part of the name of Harley Quinn to remind herself that she can be strong and that she yeah. can resist. Um, so I didn't want to say the bad thing, but I also didn't want to say the purely good thing because she's also kind of bad. 
And it took me a really long time to figure out how to write about that without yeah. falling into one pure side. Yeah, I think it. I think that's a tough character, though, that people for years have struggled with. I mean, that's kind of what Birds of Prey is all about, is, right. is the complexities of this character. That's right. And I think the new Harley animated series is is largely about that too. I'm not mm-hmm. sure that the Arkham games helped this <laughs> helped this conversation. I think the, Har- <laughs> the I think the Arkham games um, too often slid into isn't Harley sexy and that's mm. kind of what Harley was about. Um, but I do think that you get stuff like uh, you know Suicide Squad uh, one and two, or you get. Um, the, uh, yeah, as you say, the Birds of Prey film or the new Harley series. I think that they are, they're taking the best, if you will, most feminist parts of Harley and just uh, charging forward with them. It's a really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I could really delve into her all day, but um, staying on topic a little bit, Joe, do you have a favorite comic or graphic novel? And if it's different, is there one that really made you fall in love with the medium? Um, okay, so do I have a favorite? So when my, my son and I talk about this kind of thing, like, well, what is the best comic book in this category? We'll disagree about this an awful lot, but what we often come back to when we're saying the greatest of all time, uh, I almost hate to say it because it's it's just so obvious, is Sandman. Is Neil yeah. Gaiman Sandman. I think, it's, I think it is damn hard to make the argument that that is not the best comic book series ever. If you have to make that kind of statement, right? Yeah. I mean, also the <laughs> right, right. Making that, that kind of, here's the number one, you know, that's, that's sort of silly to do that. But, but when I do it, <laughs> that's the answer that I always come back to, but it's, uh, it's everything it wants to be. It hits all the modes it wants to hit. It's uh, successful from within the tradition of comics. It uses the medium to its fullest and, yeah. uh, and recognizes the limitations of the medium as well. Um, Gaiman has said this repeatedly, it's easy to find this, that he took a lot of, not inspiration, but technique from Dickens. Uh, Charles Dickens, as you probably know, almost everything we have by Dickens was originally published as a serial. So like mm-hmm. you get a chapter a week from Dickens. So Dickens had to develop all these techniques of telling a story in where each chapter uh, reminded you enough of the previous chapter that you weren't lost, got enough done in the middle that you were glad that you read that, <laughs> and also left you hungry enough for the next thing that you couldn't wait to read what happened next week. Yeah. And he uh, he borrowed that tech he borrowed multiple techniques from Dickens, and you can see that it works. Um, we can see that it works. There's a point with a, a book or with a, a story arc called The Kindly Ones, where Gaiman stopped thinking of it as a comic book series and started thinking of it as a series of graphic novels. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting to look at the changes from the, the story arcs before The Kindly Ones versus The Kindly Ones. Because The Kindly Ones, uh, in many ways, is the least successful of the story arcs as a comic. But it works tremendously well as a standalone graphic novel. So my reason for bringing all that up is that he he nailed every aspect of comic storytelling 
including what the difference between a comic and a graphic novel is, if there is a difference. The difference, to my mind, is simply that comics are magazines that come up month, and graphic novels are proclaimed comic books uh, that might well be compilations of things that came up monthly, but now we have them as a long book. And he even managed to master, and, and even kind of invent as he went along, um, how to write for those two different versions of and I mean, it, it's super accessible on top of all of that, like, especially now that there's the Netflix show, people, it's just, it's everywhere. And mm-hmm. it, it's so great. Like, it's such a great one for people to get into if they're not, they don't know where to start with graphic novels. Yeah. The tough thing about recommending Sandman to someone who doesn't really like comics is that I loved it from the beginning, right? I bought the first issue off the shelf and loved it immediately. So I'm absolutely OG Sandman fan. It, I'm, I'm not, that what I'm about to say does not at all imply <laughs> it wasn't a great series from the beginning. It totally was. However, people who don't already love comics often have a lot of trouble with the first volume, mm-hmm. especially that first volume. There are appearances from Justice Leaguers, and they're all like, who is this? green guy who likes Oreos. I don't care about this, you know. Uh, Or they feel like it's a little too hokey or a little too EC Comics horror, uh, jump scare kind of storytelling. Um, The second book, uh, The Doll's House, is where where non-comics lovers can start to get into it. And then it's really, I think, shortly after that, that it really hits its stride. Uh, as as doing its own thing that non comics lovers can love, but when I loan out my graphic novel set of the Sandman book, <laughs> uh, I say, "Well, I will I will loan this to you on one condition, and it is that you cannot give up until you've finished book three, because there are too many people who have stopped halfway through book one, saying uh, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. It, it was great from the beginning. I can't emphasize that enough. <laughs> but people who don't already love comics tend to miss it in the first volume, sometimes even the second one. So that's my advice. If you have a friend who's like, huh, where should I start? If you start in the Sandman, I think you've got to be really careful about those first two. Julia, do you think that's right? Or have you? Um, I actually haven't read Sandman. I just oh, see okay. it everywhere. Just I've watched okay. it. <laughs> okay. And so I've, Julia, I've talked yeah. at length with a couple of friends, yeah. like just about, Sandman, and I've wanted to read it, and I've flipped through it and been like, okay, uh, maybe I'll get the omnibus another time. Um, but the show is great, and yeah. the graphics are awesome. So. Okay, so Julia, you have to promise me if you do start reading it, you can't you can't stop until you're done with book three. Is it a deal? Okay, all right, I promise. <laughs> this is important to me because I really hate when somebody starts this thing that is wonderful and they give up too soon because it's not exactly what they wanted. So mm-hmm, yeah. it, it breaks my heart. I've had that happen to me a couple times, and that's why I've got this review. Well, Joe, you basically have it in writing. Julia has okay. promised anyone that's who right. listens that she'll give it a shot. <laughs> I will. I will. And I'll email you. We're coming toward the end, but Joe, do you have any final thoughts um, about anything that you, you oh, want to share? Floor is open. Um, yeah. Um, I have any thoughts about, I mean, I have constant thoughts about everything, especially like 2.30 in the morning when I'm supposed to be asleep. Mm. So why don't I have an interesting thing that's right now? <laughs> um, I guess 
You know, okay, I'll say this. Um, we're talking about comics, people loving to read comics. Um, one of the darkest moments in the history of comics was in the 1980s, when there were lots and lots of good comics, but they were virtually all being distributed in comic specialty shops that, you know, do bros hung out in. And it was an unwelcome space for people who weren't do bros. And there was really only one kind of story that comics were telling at that time. And we aren't there anymore. We've left that. Uh, you can now get comics in various formats in various different places. And whoever you are, there is a comic book for you. There is a comic book and graphic novel for you. And um, if you were chased off at some point in the past, whether it's by the dude bros who are hanging out in the comic specialty shop or because you picked up a book and it was just, uh, you, you just, you couldn't believe that people liked this job. <laughs> Give us another try because things have really changed. A good friend of mine, Gwen Targox, um, has written a great book about comics and graphic novels for young people in the, the contemporary period. And one of her points that she makes really, really well is that um, today there are comics for people of color, there are, people, there are comics for girls, there are comics for indigenous people, comics for queer people, and, and by those people as well, not just for mm-hmm. them, but actually by them. And there are masterpieces by, by everyone in all of these different categories. So if you tried it once before, and kind of shook your head of disgust, give us another shot because we've got so many good books, so many different kinds of people of so many different ages. I mean, all the way down to people who don't know how to read words yet and all the way up to uh, people sitting in the Chinese. It's, uh, there's something great for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just like television or books. There's a graphic novel. Absolutely. Um, for everyone, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, the, the saying goes that it's you have to think of it as a medium, not a genre. Yeah, mm-hmm. film is a medium, and you can't say, "Oh, I don't like film because I saw The Shining and didn't like it." <laughs> right? That you're laughing at that because that's a silly thing to say. It's the same with comics. You can't say, yeah. uh, "I read Spawn and didn't like it, therefore I don't like comics." Well, try Fun Home. Fun Home's a free and masterpiece, you know. Oh yeah. So. Um, well, Joe, I, I cannot thank you enough uh, for joining us today. Um, we've had a wonderful time. We've hoped you have had a wonderful time. Um, before we let you go, could you, um, give our listeners some information about, um, donating to the Lucy Cavendish college, um, if they are interested? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking that. It's really kind of you. So, um, the way to donate is to use your favorite search engine and look for Lucy Cavendish graphic novels. That's it. If you search for that, we're the first thing that comes up. And there's a link there on the page to donate. Um, and I, I really appreciate you asking that because this is kind of a dream come true for me to see in this august institution a, a, a space clear for comics uh, that can be part of research and pleasure or maybe the next 800 years that uh, the Cambridge separation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll put the link on um, our link tree as well for people that go through our Instagram. They can find it there. 
way. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Joe. We hope to have you back and we hope no, to hear more that. about uh, the graphic novel collection in the future. That sounds yeah. great. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. We heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. If you're listening with Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. We are off to record our newest mini-sode for our Patreon. If you're interested in joining our Novel Finds community on Patreon, follow the link in our bio. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Thank you so much for being a novel friend. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.